We've come from a year and a half of living under threat. We have had everything that possibly but we found our security in outside of the Lord threatened. Illness, death, maybe financial ruin, fear has become part of the very air we breathe. And so this morning I want to gently and sensitively talk about this idea of shalom with illness and death. And I would imagine that most of us in the last year and a half have had to rethink what we believe about illness and death because we've been faced with it in a way that we cannot and have been unable to avoid. And so I want to speak to it sensitively and, and carefully. As you know, it's the last sort of chapter of, of this book. So I want to speak to what Lisa talks about in the book, but I've, I've felt quite clearly from the Lord that I should go deeper than that and talk about what we actually believe about illness and death. Um, and so that's where we're going this morning, and uh, I hope it will lead to many more conversations and thoughts on all of our parts. But where I hope it will lead us is to a greater faithfulness on our part in a beautiful, loving God who doesn't always do what we think he's going to do, but is there regardless. So I had, a, I had a beautiful papa, Papa Baird, and um, he died at around the age of 90. He was a complex enough man. He was like the rest of us. He had a long life. He had a good life. He had a tough life. He had a life. And uh, in the last year of his life, um, he, he lived with our family because he was coming near the end. And every conversation with every visitor and every member of the family started with the same bit. The rivers of Jordan are lapping at my feet and I cannot wait to jump in and swim over. That was how he viewed death. He felt like his end was coming and he saw the river Jordan awaiting him and he could not wait to get in and swim over. And he never talked about anybody dying. He said, no, no, they weren't dying. If you said, oh, Papa, I hear so-and-so. No, 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 Stephanie, they didn't die. They were promoted to glory. <laughs> and I still think of someone who passes from this world as promoted to glory because I find that hopeful and beautiful. And so that is how I kind of had my view of death informed. But it's easy to have that view of death, isn't it, when you're 90 and you've lived a long, good life. It's not so easy to buy that idea or to believe that idea if you're 30 or if you're 40 or if life hasn't gone in any of the ways that you thought it had gone. And so whilst I, I still hold to that idea of promoted to glory, of, of entering into the next stage, I hold that alongside the suffering and the pain and the grief that comes. I've stood at this stage in my life at too many gravesides of people who fully believed they'd be healed in this life. And it wasn't to be. And so I hold that pain and that grief and that suffering against the goodness of God. And I don't talk about either of these, any of these things lightly or blandly. And I hope that you hear me on that. So I want to look at where death entered the world, which came in the creation story. And then I want to offer some ideas of perhaps how we might look at death in light of the cross and in light of the resurrection of Jesus. 
So if we go back to where we've been really soaking this, this creation story that Lisa has, has based her book on, the words should come up behind me in Genesis 2. And the Lord God, after he had created the world, he commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. And so when humanity were let do as they wanted to do in the creation, in the garden of Eden, that is when death came part of our lived experience. So death was a consequence of our broken relationship with God. And so the break in every relationship within creation is a natural consequence of this severed relationship with God. The very good, the Tav Mayo that we've been teaching about and thinking about, the in-between and the in-between us as human beings and us as creation was God's good design. But we chose something different and we brought death into our experience. If we go through... Lisa reminds us that in Genesis 1, God placed boundaries on the water and on the deep sea creatures and on those things that, that we are scared of. And she puts this beautiful frame around the idea of death. She says that what if we could start to consider that death is God putting a boundary on us living in a fallen world? That death is actually saying... I will allow you to experience this broken world and live in this broken world, but only for so long because I will make everything new and there is a new heaven and a new earth. And so death does not need to be seen as the beginning, but actually as a graceful, merciful response of a loving God. And I found that very personally challenging and yet beautiful. And I wonder how that might change how we view death if we could see it as an act of mercy from a loving God. Death is referred to and suffering is referred to throughout the whole of the story of God. It's not that it goes away. If you see behind me in Revelation chapter 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So right at the end of the story of God, there is this reminder that death and pain and mourning and suffering are to be expected. It is part of our lived experience in this broken world, but that there will be an end to it and the end will come in the new heaven and the new earth. And so the, as the followers of Jesus, we are to expect suffering and death. We are not to imagine that we're going to be protected from it. It's not a green card that makes everything good. Suffering and death and illness and challenge are part of the journey. If we are the follower of a, of a servant, Christ, who hung on a cross in the most horrific of circumstances, how can we believe that our lives will be straightforward and easy and, and hashtag blessed to use one of my, to use one of my bugbears? So Lisa in the book uses the idea of death as separation, a break in relationship. And she suggests that the shalom that we've been speaking about, the Tav Mayod, is broken. And the, 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 we will reclaim the shalom that she talks about as God's created design when we stay connected. 
and when we stay present. And I don't know about you, but at times in my life when I have gone through difficult things, they're usually the times when people struggle to know what to say to me. I don't know if it's the same for you, but sometimes people avoid difficult subjects or they avoid loss or grief because they don't know what to say. And yet that is the time when as the followers of Jesus, we can bring the shalom of heaven to that relationship, to the in-between. Not because we've got the answers, because actually someone who's suffering doesn't want to know the answers. They simply want to know that they're not alone. And so she refers to the woman who followed Jesus, who loved him like no other, Mary Magdalene, Mary his mother and other women. They brought the shalom to the in-between of Jesus' death. They stared death down with him. They didn't run and hide. They didn't shy away from it. They stared it down. They stood, they walked with him on the road to the cross. They sat at the cross. They stayed and they watched the horror that was unfolding. They watched him die and they were first to see the resurrection. And so Lisa was suggesting that this idea of avoiding pain actually doesn't bring the shalom. What brings the shalom is staying together and staying connected. And so the way of Jesus invites us into small deaths every day of our control, of our supremacy, of our dominion, and of our autonomy. And these small deaths, if I put these things to death every day in my life, I lead myself back to others. And I work in our interconnectedness. And in that interconnectedness, we both will find the shalom of heaven. That is what I believe. And obviously, as we know, the light, in the light of the resurrected Jesus, the one that we will celebrate at communion or at the, the table this morning, it reminds us that death has no longer any sting for us. Kate Bowler, uh, this is a, a beautiful book. Um, I don't know if anyone's read it. It's one of my go-to books. She calls it, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. <laughs> and she was a 35-year-old divinity professor. She does a podcast every week. So she did her thesis on the prosperity gospel, on the idea of a blessed life, on the idea that, we, that lots of us have bought into in small and big ways, that always good comes and everything works out. And she did her thesis on that, having not grown up in that kind of faith. And she found it fascinating. She became a professor of divinity. She married her childhood sweetheart. She had a one-year-old boy. And as she said herself in the introduction, it looked like I was living the hashtag blessed life. And then she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And suddenly, everything that she thought she might have believed about illness and death didn't make sense anymore. And she wrote this memoir. She does a podcast every week. I would encourage you to listen to her. She is truly inspirational because in facing her death, she has found a new way to live. And she isn't healed. She's still living. But she's still fighting and dealing with the aftermath of a, a terminal diagnosis a number of years ago. And I wanted to read you this quote from her. Because what she made the decision to do was to live in the moment and to live thankful. Sometimes this ability to live in the moment feels like my gift. My pain feels connected to the pain of others somehow. 
I now notice the look of exhaustion on the young mom at the grocery store, and I go help her with her cart. I stop to talk to the homeless man sitting on the corner. I give my money away freely, less begrudgingly. I can now see how hard people work to keep it together, but that the walls that keep their lives from falling apart are brittle. And yet again, I have two months to live. She proposes the idea that when we accept our lived reality, when we own our suffering and own our pain, that somehow we become more attuned to those around us who are also in pain and suffering. And she would argue that that is the way to freedom, that she sees people and life very, very differently now. And she's truly, truly helpful. I want to talk to you about this idea. It's an idea from family therapy, Barry Mason. Because I've, I've started to think, why is it that our faith sometimes doesn't help us to sit in the what, why is this happening? What is going on? Uh, and this is an idea from family therapy and it's about working with risk and it's called safe certainty. This is where we want to live as therapists. We want to know all the answers. We want to have all the answers. We want to know all the risks. We want to know what's going on. And he would suggest that actually what we need to do is we need to join with people connect with them where they are and know that we don't need to know the answer, that actually we will find the answer together. And so what he encourages us as therapists to do is move from safe certainty to safe uncertainty. The worst place to be is unsafe uncertainty because then you don't feel safe and you don't know anything. That ain't good. But what he's saying is move towards a place where you need to know the answers, you need to have it all sorted out, you need to know what's happening and say, actually, I am safe, but I have no idea what is ahead. And I have found that construct from therapy really helpful when I think about illness and death. That perhaps I would invite you and myself into a freer, more beautiful space if we acknowledge that our safety was in the light of the cross that our safety in terms of our life was in the light of eternity, but that we live in uncertainty and that we don't have to know the answers. In fact, it's more freeing and more beautiful because we trust in a beautiful God and that is where our security and our certainty comes from. So if we consider God and this idea of safe uncertainty, I find this Greg Boyd quote very hopeful. The God who allows his character to draw us in is more praiseworthy than one who controls everyone and everything. This is the beautiful, loving, merciful, non-violent God who is revealed to us on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so how do we live, Redeemer? How do we live in interconnectedness with one another when life is hard and life is painful? And life has changed us. How do we do it? I have been reminded, I've reread the story of Naomi this week, and I want to offer some thoughts on it. We've studied Ruth and that story as a community, so I don't need to go through it all, but what happened was Naomi's husband had died, 
She and her sons had died. She had lost everything. She was utterly destitute. She had nothing. And all she had were her daughters-in-law, which in that culture was a road to nowhere. And so she was bitter and angry. And she said, in Ruth 13, it'll be behind me. Know my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That's the first thing I want to draw to our attention. When dreadful things happened, when famine came to the land, when she lost all of her family, she assumed that somehow God was against her instead of just the fact that life was hard and tough stuff had happened. So she imbibed the idea that the Lord is angry with me. And how often do we do that? How often do we look at our circumstances and assume it's something to do with us as opposed to the bigger picture. She then later on the verse, she said, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi considered that God was angry with her and that is why she'd lost everything. But the brave thing that Naomi did, which I started to think about this week, was she owned it and she named it and she changed her very identity. How many of us, when we're going through difficult days and someone asks us, how are you? Good, good. Or we come out with some nonsense platitude, like everything's happening for a reason. That's not a real response. That is not a real response. It's not an authentic, vulnerable response. And I have suddenly looked at Naomi with huge admiration. I used to look at her and think, imagine changing your name and, and, and doing all that and, and becoming bitter and making your identity. Actually, she did a brave, vulnerable thing. And she told it to her daughters. She shared her anger and she shared her vulnerability. And it was her very daughters that then were able to point her back to the faithfulness of God. Later on in the story, in chapter four, it comes to an end where there's been the, the guardian redeemer has been found. And the woman said, the woman who she had told, call me bitter. They were the ones that were able to sit with her and say, no, Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-laws who love you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Talking about the guardian redeemer. Her sorrow and her bitterness had changed her identity, but she invited others into it. And those women and those friends were the ones that were able to call her back to the faithfulness of God. That is the shalom of heaven in the interconnectedness. We invite others into our story. We invite others into our vulnerability and our pain and our hurt. And they will be the very ones who can point us back to the faithfulness of God, to the beautiful character of God. I don't know what paths you have in your mind about your views on illness and death. They might be built around teachings that you had or experiences that you had. Or, or books that you've read, or people that you've listened to. 
And perhaps the idea of living in safe uncertainty is a new one. But I like this idea from Barbara Brown Trailer. I have found things when I was lost that I might never have discovered if I'd stayed on the familiar path. So I don't know what the bricks of faith and belief that you have on your paths are. But I perhaps would suggest that getting lost and leaving that path, leaving what you might have considered your safe certainty, will take you on a different path. And that I consider that getting lost on our paths is actually a deeply spiritual practice. Because when we get lost and nothing makes sense anymore, that is precisely the point where the Lord can meet us. He will reveal his character to us. He will prepare us and transform us. But what it does require is us to, to lose control and to say, I don't need to know all the answers. I simply need to trust the one that I believe in. Our living an abandoned life of radical trust in a good God, in a good God that does not, that usually and always remains a mystery to us. We don't need the answers. We simply need the trust. And I wonder if maybe if we started to see life more often as in light of the life that has happened at the cross, then perhaps illness and death and suffering, which will be our lived experience, they lose their power. And maybe in those days, that is when we invite others to stay with us, to connect with us, to walk with us, to cry with us, to weep with us, and to love us, and to point us in their own broken way back to the beautiful character of God who is with us and will never leave us, never leave us. I want to end with this quote from Abraham Joshua Heschel, a very brilliant Jewish scholar. Our goal should be to live life in radical amazement, to get up in the morning and look at the world in the way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be amazed. And so, Redeemer, I wonder if instead of us deciding that we know the answers and we know the path and what we want will always happen and we will bend the will of God, what if we simply embraced every day and lived in radical amazement, lived in gratitude of what we have, of those who are around us, to seek vulnerability, to seek connection, and to know that we are never alone, and that together we can bring the shalom of heaven to all of our relationships. So that when we do walk through difficult, painful days, when we do face our inevitable death, we know that we are doing it Basking in the love of a good God and a good Father. As we come to the table this morning, I want to invite Dave to come. I want us to think about the cross that ends our separation from God. I want us to think about the cross that perhaps invites us to think of death in a slightly different way, in a much more freeing manner. And Lisa talks in the book about how we, we have little small separations in our relationships every day. 
And she invites us to think about someone that perhaps you've become separated from. Perhaps the, maybe for all sorts of reasons, doesn't actually matter the reason, but maybe someone that you've become separated from. And she invites us to think, how can you bring the shalom back to your interconnectedness? How can you take a step forward towards that person? How can you restore what maybe has been lost? And so this morning as we come to the table, perhaps call to mind, ask the Lord to call to mind someone or something where you have become separate. And think, how can I bring the shalom of heaven to our interconnectedness? How can I reconnect and find peace and bring peace? As we come to the table, I want to remind you that the welcome for the table is not my welcome. It is the welcome of God. And whether you're here every week and you take the table every week or whether you have not been for a long time, you are welcome because God welcomes you and says, come, you're precious and loved and I am with you. And so as we sing this last song, please come forward, take the bread and the wine. If you hold them, and then we will all do them together at the end and we will take this reminder of the beautiful work that was achieved on the cross, that death no longer has a sting, and that we can live knowing that in peace and in hope, basking in the grace and mercy of God. Let's stand, our Redeemer, and let's sing.